Welcome to Bipolar Inquiry, drafting and crafting bipolar consciousness since 2016 by philosophizing, relanguaging, and harvesting mania's special messages, meaning visions, extraordinary experiences, ideas, insights, superpowers, possibilities, synchronicity, and parallel worlds. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information discussed on the show is not medical advice. Now, let's get started with this episode. Welcome to Bipolar Broadcast Podcast, Episode 1. I've got crazy logoria, and I want to share it with you. This is a bipolar hosting creating meaning. Thank you for joining me today. And I want to tell you a little bit about why I'm starting this podcast. And the first thing would be that it is 1ACV, which means year one after this situation that we're all in. And many of us are isolated. And so a podcast seems like a great way to reach out right about now and share some things that I've been writing about. And I have bipolar, or I am bipolar. I'm good with both ways of declaring that for various reasons that I won't go into now. I want to go into what's important to go into first. And in my mind, that is meaning. And meaning is meaningful. And what is meaning? Seemingly everything has meaning. To wonder about the definition of something is to wonder about its meaning. And I feel, and I've felt like this for a few years now, that the next age should be the age of meaning. I don't know what age we're in. Perhaps we're in the age of a brand new world, whatever that's going to look like. And and we as human beings, we have the opportunity to participate in what it's going to look like now that many things have turned into a blank slate. And now most of us are in the same boat. We're in a space of not knowing and when we're uncertain that can lead to to many things so I want to talk a lot about meaning but I also want to go into things that are more practical and it's from the perspective of living with bipolar, living as bipolar, living having bipolar, living being bipolar for the last nine years. And 
something that many people agree on is that people with bipolar, they have a tendency to be able to access multiple perspectives. And I'll use the word we because I am included in those people as having that diagnosis. And this, I feel, is a very beneficial skill, if you want to call it that, to have. It's sort of an inherited skill in that, for me, before I was diagnosed bipolar, I don't necessarily think that I had the skill of perspective taking or being able to see things from a wide view or being able to see things from 30,000 feet as I've heard um, have as I've heard it been put that way and and it can be overwhelming at times to be able to see so much and then as a result having to process so much information but right now I feel it's a valuable skill to have that ability to look from different angles and as a result be able to see where things might go depending on that view. So that implies that depending on the view we take it will lead us in one direction or another. And that leads me to talk about something that's even more fundamental than than meaning in human life is uh, perception. Because without perceiving something, for the most part, it's it's hard to create meaning or make meaning or see meaning or believe meaning or anything like that. And for meaning, I feel meaning is so important. I feel that without meaning, we don't really have anything. So much in the mental health circle, circles around hope. Hoping for something. And people who, in their lives, are thought to have, to have no hope. And I feel another way of saying that is people have no meaning, like there's no meaning left in life. Hoping is something you do. Meaning is something you have. So it could be both that one can't hope, one can't make an image of what might happen to be better in the future. And that could be one process. And another process is not having any meaning in this moment now. It's not there. It's not present. It's not, it's not in the moment. It's not available. And in that way, it could be thought that we lose our ability to create meaning. We lose our ability to see meaning. 
And the trouble with this is also that a lot of times we think of meaning as something that comes from our memory banks, something that comes from what we've been taught is meaningful, the values of the world and society, our own personal values, how we were raised, or our memories. So it seems like we can't access any meaningful memories or all of our memories no longer have meaning. All that we've been taught no longer has meaning. Everything that we were raised with no longer has meaning. And what ties this all together is that all of those things are of the past. So the past no longer has meaning to hold us here in the present. And then we could think of the outer domain like our stuff that we have. Our stuff no longer has meaning. It no longer has meaning to us. So the inner meaning is subjective. Each individual has access to their own memories. And the outer stuff is objective. So somebody else could come into another person's place and look around and say, well, the meaning of the, this book is, is letting go. The meaning of this other book is living on purpose. And then there's meaning in the book pages and there's meaning of rollerblades and there's a meaning of, of a sleeping bag. So objectively, rollerblades means one can put them on and skate, but there could be other meaning, like psychological meaning attached, like the story of how one got that object. So it seems like our stories, our subjective stories that we attach to items, no longer have any meaning because the items within themselves have some sort of function. I won't call it meaning, just separate it and call it function. So it seems that functioning with this stuff no longer has meaning either. So the past doesn't have meaning. The subjectivity has no meaning. Functioning has no meaning. Continuing the way we were continuing has no meaning. And we don't see a way out. And then that's partly where perception comes in. Because we need to see something new in order to 
see new meaning or to see something afresh. And in order to see something afresh, one needs to be able to look afresh or see with new eyes. And moving into the sphere of mania away from depression and the change in perception that happens where there is no perception. We can't see clearly. It's like being clouded by the meaninglessness to the point where no meaning can get through. And then there's a distinct perceptual change that happens in mania. Instead of having a trouble with lack of meaning and meaninglessness and not being able to feel meaning, see meaning, or anything. There's nothing to live for. In mania, everything feels meaningful. And it has a stronger meaning or sense of meaning from a tiny caterpillar to the stars at night. Everything has meaning and it's hard to focus on one thing or another because the turn of a turn of the head can lead to a perception that is very enticing and all of a sudden we go in that direction and go with that possibility. And there's a lot that lots that happens in the brain. And I will go into that more and more as time goes on. And I wasn't planning to talk about any of that. So I want to I want to go back words and this is going to be a little bit all over the place but I promise it will make sense and it will make meaning and I feel it's important to move towards meaning. And I also want to talk about things like safety, health, lifestyle design, and lots of cool ideas. So I just listened to what I said so far, and it's not as nonsensical as I thought it might be. So I'm going to go with it.
because this is about logaria, which means word flow. It's from logos and ria, which I believe are Greek or Latin, something like that. The way I like to speak is in a dialogical format, meaning I'm having a dialogue with myself. And it's not because I want to be selfish, but in my experience, when I'm having a dialogue with myself, I'm able to uncover new things and make new discoveries with myself because dialogue as a practice is a way of unfolding meaning and sharing in meaning. It's actually a meaning-making process. So what would be the point of talking about meaning in a logical way or in an explanatory way or in a reasoning way. Though some things may be able to be reasoned out, but the first part is dialogue. And also, when I say dialogue with myself, like what is myself? And that's something we can inquire into for ourselves. Where does my body end? Apparently, our bodies end a lot farther out than we thought because we can sneeze and it can go 25 feet. So all of a sudden, I'm way over there affecting somebody that I had no idea I could touch in that way. And I've also read that the electromagnetic field of the body can extend upwards of 30 feet, the beat of the heart. I don't know if that number is perfect. The numbers I say are going to be estimates or best guesses, hypotheses, because... I don't have them all in front of me, and those things can be Googled. So that's another way that I feel I I feel that the brain isn't designed anymore to be filled up with memory. Of course, it still has memory, and it has working memory, and it has memory of language and how to move and everything like that, but there's no point in cramming it with facts that can be Googled really quick. And probably one day when we're integrated with AI, we can just think and it'll connect us to the computer and give us that answer. So there's no point in that anymore. And doing that, it seems, would free up space or energy in the brain to be diverted to other functions and other processes. And that is something that makes logical sense, that any statement 
made in this way, uh, one can also look up the science. And that is something I've been doing lately, is looking up the science. And there is science for, for many things, if you want to take the time to look up the science. But there's a trouble with science, and I don't think that's the direction that I was going. But relying too much on science, which is the equivalent of reading bits on the internet that say science discovered X and science discovered Y and science discovered Z. And then I think, okay, okay, I want to store this in my brain. I want to store X, Y, and Z in my brain because science says it's true. And then the more and more that I do that, and I'm not saying that's an incorrect process. I'm just saying that it might not be the only way of knowing a fact. So... With the brain being freed up from using it so much for memory, I feel in my experience, my brain is moving more towards making meaning and other things too. There are a lot of different traits for people with bipolar. And I think there's a long list of traits that we can all of a sudden acquire magically at the snap of a finger during the first mania, if that's how it happens. And they may go away. They may be transient and come back during the next mania. There could be some that we're able to still connect with when we're no longer manic. The possibilities and the different um, complexities of that that could be possible in different human beings is endless. So... I can only speak from my own lived experience about the ones that I've connected with and the ones that I'm moving towards bringing into my life more and more. Because something else that we connect with in mania is many possibilities many, many possibilities. And it seems like at times we could be anything or anyone. We might even think we're someone else. Or we might think that we created something that someone else did. But in that space of possibility, we see how it's possible that that person did create that because we're vibing with that exact Thing. And perhaps if we went in that direction, we would create that. But somebody already created it. So it's like, oh, I'm feeling like Albert Einstein and E equals MC squared. But he already did that. So I better go in a different direction and, you know, look at his E equals MC squared and extrapolate that over to my own life and see how I can apply that or inspect it further. But... Um, it's, it's apparent that that was not truly the case. So for me, I had an experience in my first mania 
where I thought that I was going to write rap lyrics for Lauren Hill. And I thought I was going to be her friend, or I thought I already was her friend. Or I thought that, you know, knowing that I could create these rap lyrics, that I should be her friend. So I was pretty happy about that. But that wasn't true. But at the time, I could write some pretty good rap lyrics. And I had tuned into that possibility. So it's like I could see the possible future if I really dedicated my life to creating amazing rap lyrics and trying to send them on to Lauren Hill somehow. But the thing is with mania sometimes is that there's so much to it, but one thing is that it's a state of possibility. And possibility is related to quantum physics. And quantum physics, when you look at it a little bit, and there are books out there on the topic that are for people who don't have a a major science background, which is most people. And people that study quantum physics for a living don't fully understand it themselves. And I feel like one of the things that is happening in mania is that our brain is going into a quantum physical processing state. So then what happens is how we have a subjective experience of life, like our inner subjectivity is processing and translating information, including words into our awareness in a quantum way. And one of the properties of quantum, like the quantum reality or whatever is non-locality and also entanglement. So non-locality means that something can be there and somewhere else at the same time. Or it's just all the information is spread over the whole thing, like a hologram. And then entanglement means one bit over here can be sort of entangled with something way down there. So if one bit over here turns, then the other one starts to turn in the same way. So we can imagine these these types of Um, miscalculations in the brain as um, mistakes of quantum awareness, of new quantum awareness, in that we are newly getting this type of processing in our brain, is speeding up, is processing a lot of information, and as soon as it sees that it can go in a certain direction, like starting to write some rap lyrics, it creates a story and projects it forward that, oh, if I do this, I can write for Lauren Hill and we'll be friends. And we're pretty much friends now because if I decide to go in this way, we will be friends and it's non-local. So me down there is the same as me here. So that's one way that it, it could happen. And I think the brain learns not to make that mistake. In my own experience, 
I haven't thought that I invented something that I didn't in a long time. It might have only been in the first mania. And I've had probably five or six. So, so yeah, I think that the brain learns. And different things are happening in a manic brain. Energy is moving around. And a lot of things that I'm saying, I've talked with myself about before and sort of worked it out and basically one can extrapolate one's lived experience to principles and theories at the frontiers of science so You know, if I read something about science and it's describing certain properties and principles of science that they've discovered through experimentation or they've they've deduced through the next logical scientific step of whatever they can see is happening. And I hear their description of the particle or something really tiny. And then I read it and I say, wow, that exactly describes my subjective experience of what my brain is doing. And reality around me is doing in mania or psychosis. So really, and I feel this is how it's meant to be, is science is sort of a microscopic, microcosmic description of the cosmos. And we as human beings experience the cosmos through our, through our subjectivity. And the subjectivity which is apparently objective of scientists looking at these things that are tiny, 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 is we're still observing our own subjectivity. We can't get away from it. There's no way. We can have instruments that do experiments and make calculations to be able to do the math, to say, okay, well, this is how it's working at these really tiny levels that we can't see. But then when me as a person with lived experience in this world walks around the world and says, oh my gosh, like what they're describing at the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest level is what's happening to me in daily life at the, the human level walking on the earth in this reality. And I wonder if the scientists see that too or if they are looking in microscopes and with scientific views like picking things apart that they can't see it holistically but i don't think that well what i do think is that another thing that happens with mania is that our brain speeds up And you can say, well, how do you know the brain speeds up? Well, we talk faster. We have more energy. We move faster. We move more effectively, efficiently. That scene in Forrest Gump where Forrest puts together his his gun and he's like, that's sort of what we're like all day long. So we're super fast 
processors, processing more information, the brain is sped up. The mental speed is sped up. The words have sped up. The talking has sped up for whoever. Not everybody gets that. It doesn't, it's not the same for everybody. It's not supposed to be the same for everybody. So the brain speeds up. And when the brain speeds up and we're able to process more information, which is partly due to the fact that our pupils dilate and more light is able to enter the eye and hit the retina and information sent to the brain. So vision is one of the main senses of the human body and it takes up a lot of the brain processing power. So in order for the brain to be able to process it, it speeds up. But the light entering the eye also speeds up the brain. So to me, the light itself is a nutrient. And a lot of people experience speeding up or mania in springtime when all of a sudden there's more warmth. So there's more warmth, there's more sun, there's more light. Not only is there more light, but when there is more light, we can see more information in general. In a dark room, it's hard to see much of anything. But in a fully lit room, there's a lot more to see. So when there's more sunshine hours in the day, there are more hours for more information to get in the brain and more light during those hours and more heat, which warmth is needed for metabolic processes. So we can think of this as part of the the disease. And I I don't think of it that way. I think of it in many ways. I probably think of it in a hundred ways. But the first one that comes to mind is that it makes sense in that say we were how we were before as human beings, which, you know, there wasn't really light and say we had agriculture, but not really like electricity and stuff. It would make sense that in the wintertime, like fall, winter, we are more sedentary, we're not going out to farm, we're resting, we're conserving our energy, we're sleeping more because there's more dark. And it's nothing to be depressed about, it's just there's less food. And then all of a sudden springtime comes and it's time to get out there and work. It's time to get out in the sun, sun on your skin, it's time to get out there and work. So all of a sudden there's more sun, the pupils naturally open, the light gets into the brain, the light actually increases our strength through certain circuits in the brain that I won't mention now, but I will go into later. And so we have more strength, we have more perception of what to do, so we can be out there doing that thing. So I'm also not one to want to refer too much to traditional things because um, I feel that when the brain speeds up and it's processing processing information really um, interestingly or originally, there's so much to learn and and look into that we wouldn't 
want to put so much attention into that. So bringing that whole story into today's times, it still makes sense in that springtime comes along, you want to you want to go outside, you want to rollerblade, you want to play tennis, you want to hike in the trees, you want to go up the mountain, you want to stand a paddleboard. So why not sleep four or five hours and enjoy being outside? So what it's pointing to is go outside in those uh, times and get sunlight. Sunlight on the skin in healthy ways, slowly building up one's ability to be out in the sun is a good thing. Unless, of course, in the case of bipolar, a lot of medications make us sensitive, including lithium. Um, This isn't medical advice, by the way. Um, In my lived experience, taking lithium, sometimes I've been sensitive, but I lost my nice base tan So I'm definitely sensitive now, but there was a time where it didn't really matter. But I wasn't on a huge dose. So, of course, take everything with a grain of light. So I talked about a lot there. And I guess in retrospect, that would be an example of sharing how one has made sense and meaning of something that has a certain definition within a certain framework that is helpful at times but it's not it's not necessarily the best or most accurate description of the lived experience of it it's a lot more than what's in the science a lot lot more and I'm not trying to glorify it what my intention is is to build context build a lot more context so having the definition that goes along with bipolar is super helpful that's a very helpful context through which one can obtain information to be able to function in life and there's so much more to add so I would say that through people with lived experience we can share our context with with each other and and create new conversations around it and share meaning and and make meaning. And if if you don't want to do that, that's totally fine too. And I I want to share my meaning-making process that I utilize with myself, which I did for a few years, like three and a half years, and I found it very helpful. It's, it's a process of self-dialogue, of having dialogue with oneself, which is different than journaling, B 
because journaling is is it tends to be more about feelings or experiences or what happened during the day or the weather and this this is more about creating context and creating meaning unfolding meaning because meaning is everywhere so there's so much meaning in every tiny bit of space whether it has something in it or not you know you could call it information and i did say that we we sh- we should uh, i don't generally use that word but we should move into the age of meaning because there's tons of information information on the internet there's information in books but how do we make sense of it how do we make meaning of it how do we make meaning out of it do we know how to do that or do we just what do we do with that i don't know so the process that i utilized and i feel this also gets the brain into a a dialogical state is i would talk with myself on video so during the day when i had insights come into my brain so this would be during a more energetic phase of my year. I'd write them down. I'd just jot them down on a piece of paper. And then when I had time, I would sit down and I would talk about the point that I wrote. And when I would talk about it, I tended to say more about it than I wrote down. And then I'd talk about the next point and say more about it than I wrote down. And then what I would do was I would edit the video and I would just take out the spaces so there was no pauses because I'd look at the paper and read the next point. And so when I was doing that, I found that I would make another note. I would make a bunch more notes on some of the things I said. Not everything, but some of them. And so I called that extrapolation which if you look up the definition, it it sounds about right. So I would use that as part of what I would talk about in the next video, as well as whatever I wrote down. And then when I did that again, when I edited it again, I would make notes again. So I called it a triple extrapolation process. Because the first thing was the writing it down. That was extrapolating it from the moment. It was having an insight into something. And I want to talk more about insight as I feel it relates to mania a lot more. But I would write it down. And the thing that helped with writing it down also was sometimes they just seem so important. And they can sort of tug at the brain cells. But when I write it down, it felt like, okay, there, it's written down. I don't have to think about it anymore. I can just forget it. And then that would create space in my brain just to be completely open for the next thing, which would, which could be related or might not. And I wrote it down. And also I found when I was doing the videos, like the point wasn't to be super clever. The point was 
partly to write it down with my own hand. Sometimes I typed it into my phone if I was out and about. But that process of writing it down and looking at it in your own writing, in my own writing, on the paper, it's really something. Like there's something that happens with the feedback between the hand and the brain and then also the sight and the brain. So writing is visual as well as tactile and more. So there's that. And then when I would say it on the video, I would speak it out in my own voice, which is powerful. And I wasn't speaking it just to say it. I was speaking and also wondering about it at the same time when I was speaking it. So that creates another level of energy there. And then I would watch myself speak it. So here's me watching myself say these things. And that's like another level in the brain. So for that reason and more, this process was really helpful because I was able to learn for myself was the main thing. And it wasn't about whether it's right or wrong. Because that's how we're trained in school, to worry about whether it's right or wrong. And, you know, that means, is my memory right or is my memory wrong? And we need to move beyond regurgitating energy, um, information from memory. We really can connect with a different kind of information. And there's many people on the planet who have done that. And there's many people who have bipolar who have done that, I'm sure. I remember reading one time that quite a bit of percentage of people who are writers, like I guess professional writers, have bipolar. And um, it makes sense because a lot of us have this connection with words. And it's not only words, but language and the structure of language and not just wondering, but wondering about words. And yeah, so I just wanted to share with you that process in case you want to give it a try. And if you have a phone with a camera, it's, it's easy enough to do that process. And I feel as well, when we write down an insight that we have, we, we sort of harvest it from the universe and we, we put it down onto paper and it might not make any sense, especially in the beginning, but over the years, it starts to make more sense. At least it has for me and the amount of writing that I do that makes some sense and the amount that's completely nonsensical is um, pretty much everything makes sense now, actually. And that's the other point I wanted to make about the self-dialogue not being about right or wrong. Almost everything I wrote down, I talked about. And almost everything I talked about, I kept in the video. I rarely edited out a word. Because part of what happens for me, at least, is that this mind tendency to feel like oh that's not good and that's good and this is better and that's worse 
and this has value and that doesn't, it kind of goes away. And I really don't know, like I completely have no idea how to rank or categorize this or that. To me, it's all equally as fulfilling in the moment and then serves its own purpose. And so what I hope to share is not so much about all this meaning or context or talking about this word or mania or depression, but this way of looking at the world just with this wonder and awe that is a, a tendency of of mania to be in complete awe and wonder. And I feel that it's it's more possible to be in that in that framework when we're not looking with this good and this bad and this this valuation and judgment. Because when we when we do that, we think that we know something. And it's like we get this reward for thinking we know something, thinking we know something's good or bad. And in my experience, when I really, really don't know and don't have much going on in my mind about stuff, then um, what comes into my mind is very surprising and original and new and and doesn't really need any justification because it it justifies the brain and that didn't happen at first at first there was a lot of insight mixed in with a lot of um associations and memory and knowledge and it was really confusing so I feel that it's possible that that mania can be integrated and harnessed and harvested over time and even when I was in mania the very first time I wrote a stack of paper worth of words and it was all blank paper and it was probably two or three inches thick and I did eventually toss it but not before scanning it into pdf and (laughs) oh my gosh some of it is absolute baloney but um I remember writing I can't save the butterflies and I can't stop them from eating nutella but the line above it actually made a lot of sense. I can't remember what that was. Probably heal the world. Thinking, um, oh yeah, I also thought that part of Michael Jackson's consciousness went into mine when he died. Because it was strange. When he passed away, for some reason, I was looking at the TV and somebody had shared on the news a, pic- a picture of him dead. And I saw it, and it was never flashed again, but it was really strange that I saw it. It was, And that was way before I was diagnosed or anything. So anyway, um, I want to share some of the, the interesting weirdness 
you know, quantum weirdness along the way. And I do go into states of psychosis and depression, so I don't know how long I'll be able to talk in a lucid way. And that's just how things are. And I'm okay with that. And I don't, I don't see, I don't see myself as one person that's supposed to stay consistent. And when I do go into psychosis and depression, I, I try to minimize the damage and weather the storm. You know, it's sort of like mania and depression and psychosis. They're, they're different weather systems in the brain and um, learning to weather them. And, you know, it always trips me up. I try to prepare myself somewhat like, oh, you got me last time this way by da-da-da-da-da. So I'm doing this. And nope, doesn't matter. Some other interesting, surprising way pops about. But, you know, with all the lovely surprises of mania, I guess, you know, some scary surprises are going to happen too in psychosis. So I just wanted to share that because I'm not sharing this from a point of view of this is everlasting and um, evergreen. It's, It's not. I would love to live forever in the golden green light, but um, it's not the way it's meant to be right now, so it's all good. And I have so much more to talk about. I won't today, but I hope that you heard something that resonated with you. I hope that you heard something that was beyond the content or any kind of thing that sounded like a fact or a true meaning um, that is absolutely true. There's nothing that's absolutely true. There's relatively true. There's subjectively true. There's, There's many different truths. And part of what I feel is important is is moving towards being able to see clearly in the moment because what else can we really do? If we can see clearly, we can act clearly. And it's a challenge. It's a real challenge. It's not comfortable. And I feel that I really feel that we're a neurotribe. And that our brains are working in similar ways, just like the neurotribe of autism, for example. And autism is something that happens to young children, whereas... Bipolar is something that happens to mainly late teens to late 20s, I think, and earlier too, but I think it's mainly 18 to 29. 
And to me, it's, it's an acquired sensitivity. It's an acquired hypersensitivity to light, to sound, to information. And, um, you know, those young kids, they're sensitive to information, noise, like their brain is processing in different ways that are not, um, are not wrong. Um, it's sad. The suffering is, is very sad, just like the suffering of bipolar or anything else is very sad. But I feel that we are, we have some capacities that could be helpful for the world and many of us are using them to the best that we can and I'm hoping that by creating more conversations and creating more context and meaning together we can build a web of of meaning to fill in the whole picture and I do feel if we can process what we're given as downloads, like for writing or whatever, and share it, then, you know, first there was the word. What were your first bipolar words? And what were you trying to create? Why did we feel like we were on a mission? Why did we feel those things? Why did we see what we saw? And there's so much more to share. So thank you for joining me in this conversation. And I welcome your feedback. Holographic hugs. Thank you for listening to Bipolar Inquiry. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, use your voice, craft your consciousness, embody your potential, enter a quantum paradigm. The Bipolar Inquiry podcast is not meant to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Information in this show is not medical advice. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.